You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Inside the QB factory, where our magical development dust make dreams come true. I am your host, Michael Kist. This is all brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. It is episode 18 of the QB factory here with my man, QB1, in our hearts, in our minds. He is Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing, brother? What's going on, buddy? Michael, it's a privilege and an honor to be with you today. Uh, as always, I'm just pleased as punch to get to be able to spend some time with you. Start my Friday morning, seeing you across the screen. Just wonderful. Yeah. I really believe that delivery. That <laughs> Look, I tried to sell it the best I could. And if I yeah. do seem more verbose than my usual long-winded self, it's because the actual topic that we need to cover today distresses me so much that yeah. I'd rather go long here yet again to stave off the inevitable. So before we begin with our weekly historical reference, I did want to take a moment and thank all the gentle listeners who took the time over the past week or so to share with us on Twitter their Spotify wrapped year in review images, letting us know just how often they let us hear BGN Radio into their lives over the past, well, gestures at everything. It's fantastic (laughs) to see each time. And now, your historical reference brought to you by our great friends at History. But stay tuned. (laughs) Because I have a fun little game for you and our gentle listeners, Mike, at the end of today's reference. Yeah. Now, I've spoken before about the Michael Beschelos book, Presidents of War, a deep yet entertaining read. And I've actually shared a historical reference from that book before, a story about Union General George McClellan forcing Secretary of State William Seward and President Abraham Lincoln to wait on the first floor of McClellan's home for over an hour one night before finally sending his assistant down to inform the president, his boss, that the general had gone to bed. Well... In the words of Paul Harvey, it's time for the rest of the story. Now, McClellan would not last long as the head of the Union Army. At the end of December of 1861, the 37th United States Congress had had enough. They launched an investigation into the conduct of the war itself. That led to many tense moments in and around the nation's capital. In fact, Michael, on New Year's Eve of 1861, Abraham Lincoln invited many members of that committee investigating the war to a reception at the executive mansion. During the event, Ohio Senator Benjamin Wade confronted the president about the war, General McClellan, and the Union Army's apparent sluggishness in prosecuting the war itself, telling Lincoln to his face that, quote, you are murdering your country by inches in consequence of the inactivity of the military. Now, after the first of the year, the hearings actually began. During one hearing, a New York major in the Union Army admitted during his testimony that, quote, it is kind of a standing joke among us that this is a very civil war, end quote. But over time, Wade and fellow Senator Zachariah Chandler of Michigan began to lose their patience. They wanted the new Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, to arrest one of McClellan's generals, Charles Stone, for treason and disloyalty for his conduct during a battle at Ball's Bluff. Stanton complied, because that's what you do, I guess. And the general was imprisoned at Fort Lafayette in New York Harbor. 
President Lincoln went along with the arrest, stating that the general would be charged and tried, quote, in due season, which is, you know, comforting. Finally, McClellan himself appeared before the committee and was pressed repeatedly about his reluctance and hesitation to press the attack against the Confederacy. McClellan explained that the reason for a delaying crossing the Potomac River into Virginia was due to the fact that new bridges across the river were suited mainly for advance and that any sound commander would ensure his soldiers' means of retreat. Chandler taunted him from the day as, quote, before you strike at the rebels, you want to make sure you have plenty of room so you can run in case they strike back? But McClellan survived for a time. But in 1862, Lincoln had seen enough. When McClellan took nine days to finally cross the Potomac River into Virginia, a movement came about only after months of angry letters between the president and his general, Lincoln made his move. After one final refusal by McClellan to listen to the president go after Robert E. Lee's forces in Virginia, McClellan refused, saying, quote, his horses were absolutely broken down from fatigue. The president replied curtly, quote, Will you pardon me for asking what the horses of your army have done since the Battle of Antietam that fatigue anything? For his hesitation, his reluctance, his stubbornness, his refusal to act, McClellan was out. Now, Michael will probably have an inkling as to why that's today's historical reference. But it's also time for a fun little game, a little oh, over-under. I had some time Sunday do some math. The kids were playing outside. My wife was somewhere. My marriage is fine. <laughs> and I went back to calculate two numbers. Uh-huh. My NCAA passer rating oh. and my adjusted net yards per attempt. Okay? I'm going to give you an over-under for both and we'll see if you get it right and the gentle listeners can play on at home. Okay. So, remember, NCAA passer ratings are artificially higher. Like, yeah. they're usually astronomical because of the way they're calculated, not like NFL passer ratings. And so, the over-under on my collegiate NCAA passer rating, Michael, I'm giving you 75.0. Oh, man. And the over-under on my collegiate adjusted net yards per attempt is 3.5. <laughs> and go. Okay. So, you were basically recruited to run like a single wing flex bone type of offense. So, I'm already assuming. Okay. So, I'm going to go over on the passer rating. I'm going to go under on the adjusted net yards per attempt. Okay. You're one for two. Okay. The over on the NCAA passer rating of 75.0 is wrong. Oh, no. My career NCAA passer rating was 47.51. Holy crap. But you wait, like even give some space. It gets better, okay? Yeah. Because you got the under on the Justin Net Yards per attempt right of 3.5. Okay. But did you think it was negative? <laughs> what? It was negative 0.6667. Here's my stat line, okay? My career stat line. And anytime somebody says, look, Mark, you didn't play the game. You don't know what you're talking about. I know bad quarterback play, okay? And yeah. here's how. My career numbers... 11 completions on 31 attempts for 92 yards, no. zero sacks. touchdowns, <laughs> two interceptions, and five sacks for a loss of 27 yards. Oh, my goodness, dude. So when people come at me on Twitter and say, look, it's clowns that never played the game. Look, this yeah. clown played bad quarterback. Okay? So I know that. This is this is why. I come to you for expert quarterback advice and tips and whatnot. Look at that resume. I know what not to do. So I thought that would cheer the gentle listeners up on a day that they might need some joy in their lives. I mean, you might as well. You're qualified to be the Eagles quarterback coach. We're talking about all these other different people we'd put in there that I think you could come in and do the job. And unfortunately, 
we do have to talk about this, the historical reference. That kind of reminded me of the the play calling with the Eagles. Like, would you do something? No, I won't do something. Yeah, I'll do it. No, no. Okay, my horses are beat up or whatever. Is this like the Peterson Press Taylor type situation where... Or apparently Scangarello, who's been calling the two-minute plays, which right. is the only time that the Eagles offense seems to click, which is mind-blowing to me that it's Scangarello that's putting that together, but okay. It doesn't even look like Scangarello's offense. No. Like, that, it has, it has, this Nothing like has zero influence from him it's just like he basically i i think what happens is doug says here here is a limited menu of plays call them in the order in which you like and i'll probably overrule you at some point i and mean that's that's carson will thinking. audible with a lot of scrimmage and nothing matters eat at arby's 100 i mean that's what it feels like to me and and we do have to talk about carson and and the ways in which he is broken as we do every week we give our carson Wentz performance review and then we talk about the upcoming enemy opponent who is playing at a, an extremely high level that's aaron Rodgers of the green bay packers so nine minutes into the show let's get involved <laughs> <laughs> gotta put in the show notes um if you want football talk fast forward to the 10 minute mark yes exactly no i, I did like the uh the bit about your background though i did not know your stats so that's fascinating i'm to so know glad you... i just gave everybody ammo to dunk on me that's just great <laughs> So let's get into Carson Wentz, man. 25 for 45 against the Seahawks. 215 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. That, that's kind of skewed by that Hail Mary at the end there. He took six sacks, which has taken multiple sacks every week going back to week three against Cincinnati, uh, where he had, where he took none, then he took eight the week before. So obviously the sacks are still racking up. Yards per attempt, 4.78. So some real Schofield type numbers there from our boy Carson Wentz. <laughs> And look, I was going through the film and like people want to yell about, you know, the, just the, the blanket statement, play calling and, and scheme. And uh, the, the one that broke me and the one that broke you and you wrote about this and we put this on the timeline and whatnot, but we might as well reference it here. Second quarter, first and 10, Philadelphia 39 yard line. It's, you know, 428 left in the quarter. This is an incomplete pass to Jalen Rager. Mark, do you want to go through this? Because this is just, I mean, this is the perfect example of what we talk about when it really doesn't matter if guys are getting schemed open. It really doesn't matter what the play call is. This is a basic mirrored Haas concept that he has probably run many, many times in his career, something that he should be very comfortable reading. This is not a complex coverage he's working against, but Mark, you want to take it away? I really don't, but I guess we have to. <laughs> yeah. If you were watching this game, this is a play where you probably remember Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy just losing their collective minds in the booth because, as you said, Mike, it's spot drop cover three. Like it's okay. not a complex rotation. It's like high school day one install type defense you're running this against. And like you said, mirrored Haas, seam routes from – it's out of a two-by-two two formation. So the two slot receivers are running seam routes. Outside receivers are running hitches. It's basic stuff. This is your dream coverage if you're a quarterback. I just gave you my numbers. And yet if I saw this, I would know where at least to go with the football. I might not get it there as the numbers bear themselves out. <laughs> but you have a single high safety, post safety in the middle of the field. The seam routes are where you want to attack here. Like that's where your eyes should go first. And both of these seam routes are open. Like they're both wide open. But he yeah. never, he never even – like his eyes glance to the middle of the field solely to confirm the coverage. And then he comes right and he throws this – underthrown hitch route to Jalen Ragor after like taking 15 hitch steps in the pocket. <laughs> Jamal Adams basically cuts underneath and it has time to make a ham sandwich before the ball finally gets there. And then it almost looks like Wentz, it's either because he's hitched so many times, his base is wider than that of a dump trucks, 
or yeah. he sees J- Jamal Adams underneath and he like turfs it. It's it, it's it's a Travisham mockery from start to finish. But the basic premise is, as Greasy said, this is a single high coverage with a pair of seam routes from slot receivers bracket in the safety. And when I saw that, my mind flashed first to a video I had done on Wentz like last week after the Browns game where yeah. they ran four verticals out of three by one. This is basically the same thing because you have four vertical releases and you had a seam route against a single high coverage and Wentz never looked at it. And I'm screaming like, this is wide open. You, you got to throw this. And people are yelling at me like, I don't know what I'm talking about. And yes, the numbers bear that out, but that's the route you have to throw. Like you missed an opportunity there. And then there's that. And then it hit me and I dug up a play from his senior year at NDSU against North Dakota State. And this is a play that draft Twitter like ripped to shreds during that draft cycle. And Uh I got on my hill defending Carson Wentz for making this read. And the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I'm like, no, I got it wrong. Four verticals out of three by one, single high safety look in the red zone, both inside vertical routes because now you have a seam and then the bender from right to left because it's out of a three by one are wide open, but he just looks at the hitch route along the outside, stares it down, stares it down, throws it late, and it's incomplete. And everybody's like, this is dumb. He's locking on reads. I'm like, no, no, no. He knows what he's getting, whatever. No, I was wrong. That This is Carson Wentz right now. He has regressed to the quarterback we saw his final year at North Dakota State, and that's a problem. The reasons for that, myriad. Protection issues, sure. Guy's not getting open. Yeah. Play calling, perhaps. Weather, maybe. Who knows? The moon, why not? Throw it in there too. Carson Wentz maybe being a dad for the first time. I don't know. But there are a lot of reasons. But the bottom line is this. He's the quarterback that he was at North Dakota State his final year. And that's a big problem. So I'm watching his, his foot. Going going back to that play, I'm watching his foot where you mentioned his base. His footwork is so bad on this that I actually think, and you, you can tell me if I'm wrong, when he is on the follow through on this throw, his footwork tells me I'm about to have to run for a pick six tackle. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to have to get on my horse for a second. That's that's how unconfident he was in this throw. I have it on my screen here, paused as he's drawn back. His right foot is on the 32-yard line. Yeah. And his left foot is on the 34-yard line. Okay? <laughs> I know Carson Wentz is a tall man, yeah. but that's, six, that's a six-foot base. He's socially distanced at his feet. Like, you can't, you can't throw like that. And then, yeah, you're right, because once he lets it go, you see his follow-through, and he's immediately, like, like moving ooh. that way, like, this is getting picked. And I'm having flashbacks to what my high school offensive line coach would always yell at me if I would make a throw. He's like, once you throw it, you have to follow it in case you have to, like, make a tackle. And I'm like, dude, no. Like, I'm that good. I'm awesome. Look at my stats, right? Yeah, but on, that's coach. where Wentz's head's at right now. Yep. His feet are socially distanced, and he's following plays because he knows he's going to have to make a tackle. Yeah. Again, like this is a myriad of suck right now. And what's crazy is like the Eagles come out and they do the they do the same concept. They do mirrored Haas the very next play and they do it from empty. And for some reason, it clicks in Carson Wentz's brain. He does the same thing, but like he he makes the the hitch throw in this one against the uh, the coverage. I think they were expecting the first time. I don't know. It, it just what, has no confidence what, in the pocket. What's interesting about the next example is since they do it out of empty, he knows. Like he should have known the previous play, exactly what he's getting. Because right. you've got Boston Scott flexed to the outside and you've got Bobby Wagner across from him. So he knows, look, it's man coverage. And he sees Bobby Wagner playing basically nine yards off of him because yeah. he doesn't want to get beaten deep in this situation. So Wentz knows, all right, well, I can at least take this one. Yeah, But it's like 
You could have taken the play on the previous example. Like, that's a gimme too. Both of these are like layup throws for an NFL quarterback that could drafted second overall. Right. And it's, stu- and it's weird because it's stuff that I've seen like once do before going back to the original play. And I, and, and I know we're like really harping on this one, but I think this explains a lot of the different ways that we see when we talk about Carson Wentz being broken. Like, you, you broke down, and I broke it down on the Palpably Unfair podcast too. You put this on Twitter. Uh, Kirk Cousins touched down to Justin Jefferson, the first one against yeah. uh, Rasul Douglas. How Cousins uses his shoulders to manipulate a potential hold defender to keep an to keep an open window to manipulate people. On, on this, Carson, like you said, all he does is verify the coverage. He can he's got two on one on a safety. Right. This is Greg Ward and Dallas Goddard screaming at a single high safety. So even if you say, okay, maybe at this point in time, the safety maybe breaks on one or the other. Carson Wentz needs to manipulate that defender and make him wrong. Like th- this is easy stuff. Like he yeah. did this last year against Washington on the deep touchdown to uh to Deshaun Jackson. He's got yeah. two guys coming out of safety. He manipulates them, so on and so forth. We can't even we can't even get that out of him. He's so he's so broken and and regressed to the point where it, it is unrecognizable. And I hate the revisionist history of people saying, well, this is how could we not see this coming? Because nobody saw this coming. And if you're acting like you saw this coming, I would call you a liar. Even the biggest critics of Carson Wentz. And I'm looking at people like, you know, ESP and, and Joe Giglio. Even they were like, yeah, he's probably top 12-ish, but they were pissed off because the guy was making top five money. Like, I, I, I get that. We just approached that conversation a little bit differently. When I ranked them, I probably had him somewhere around the top 10 behind Dak Prescott, but still a solid quarterback. Like, to say that you saw this coming is just absurd. And I saw Josina Anderson talking with, like, Ron Jaworski, and she, she kept trying to push her side narrative on it. Like, Ron kind of, like, brushed it off. But I, I just don't see how people see Carson Wentz in 2018 and 2019 and say at any point, other than maybe if you look at Carson Wentz in the Seahawks and the Patriots game, where, again, it was, like, all practice squad receivers, and it was new uh, at that point, it wasn't just kind of like how life was for him at that point. He was broken for those couple of games, but like he also played really well in the beginning of the season, had some high leverage drops that cost him some games. He also, you know, last four weeks played pretty doggone football and took that practice squad of receivers into into a playoff run. So I, I, I just don't get when people say, wow, we should have seen this coming. And like Steven Ruiz had a great piece for this on uh, on, on For the Win. But I also think he kind of fell victim to that trap because he also had Carson Wentz ranked 12th coming into the season. You look at the athletic poll of GMs and and coaches and all that stuff, and they had Carson Wentz ranked around that same area. I think even the people that were low on Carson Wentz wouldn't be like, oh, he's a bottom 32 quarterback. He's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. You'd be laughed off the app. But here's where we are with him right now, and I don't I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what they do. Apparently, they've already been you know handing out delegating different play calling responsibilities. That hasn't really helped other than in the two minute drills. And Carson Wentz operates better in empty and in tempo anyway, so those two minute drills are more naturally going to work for him. So where's the hope this year? Because I don't I don't see any man. Like I'm I'm beyond trying to watch this guy process football. I've I've defended him in the past. There was nothing to defend here for me. No, there isn't. And I think the problem is, you know, we've all phrased it, I phrased it on this show as regression, but that implies like sort of a subtle slide. Right. You know, this is a collapse. Yeah. This is a quarterback and collapse because whether you had him as a top five, top 10, top 12 quarterback, regression means he slides into like the early 20s. Collapses, he slides to like bottom three player in the league. And that's how he's playing right now. Now, it's not an effort thing. Like, look, the guy's putting his body on the line still. <laughs> This play we've spent so much time talking about because it is important 
it was set up by a scramble for him, you know, that gave him like perhaps I don't I'm not remembering it right, but it was either their first or their second first down of the game with like four minutes to go in the first half. Effort's not the issue. But there are a lot of issues. And I don't know how you fix it like overnight. And I know the question has become, and the drum beat is getting louder, Jalen Hurts time. Right. And as bad as Carson is, I don't know A, if that fixes anything, and B, if that's the thing to do. Because yeah. the way I come back to it is you know, this is still, believe it or not, a team in playoff contention because of the rest of the division. All right. And so I, I look at it and I say, you know, until you're until you're like out of it, you play Carson Wentz. Like I think that's where you're at. And once you are out of it though, I think it's time to sit this dude down and let him start fixing the brain ball. Like that's that's where we have to be. Uh, we we all know the underlying factor here is the money. Like he's too expensive to, mm-hmm. you know, cut. You know, I don't think anybody's taking on that contract in a trade. You know, so you're going to have to figure this out. You play him until you're out of it. You know, because if you bench him now when you're still technically in contention, what does that send? Yeah. Um, so I think you you ride this out. You try to find ways to make it work. There's not a lot of hope, but I think you have to pray. It's the season of miracles, so maybe something happens. And then once it's out of range, you sit him down because, look, at this point, man, what you're putting out there is hurting yourself. And you're making things worse. You've collapsed as a quarterback. You're the guy you were in college. We have to start fixing it, and you can't play your way out of it. If this game is twenty-eight to three at the half, though, like, do you do you look at that situation and go, okay, maybe because I've seen people make this point before, and I agree with them, and I and I understand your point about you know, Doug Peterson wants to to win the East, right? He doesn't yeah. care what fans think about draft pick and so on and so forth. His and me and Ben have talked about this all the time. Peterson wants to wants to win, but if you're down twenty-eight to three. Do you start to think about hitting that reset button? Because I truly believe that, like, if you take once out of the, out of the week to week grind and suck that he is currently in, maybe that's a better solution than just continuing to th- to, to throw him out there when he's obviously struggling. That, like, I really feel like a reset button is needed for him. So when I say bench Carson Wentz, I don't mean bench him forever. That's not possible. Priority number one should be fixing Carson Wentz because of, like Mark mentioned, the financials. How, I, how do you fix them? Is a reset part of that? Do you? I'll go back to my initial question because I've I've prattled on about this. But twenty-eight to three, Carson obviously struggling in this game. It's out of reach. You know you're going to take the L. Do you put Hurts in for a half? I mean, I think at that point you do. And, and the example I will use is if you watch the Marty Schottenheimer of Football Life, you know there's a segment in there about how he handled Drew Brees. And there were times early in Breeze's career in San Diego when Schottenheimer would sit him down when Breeze was struggling. And there was this clip in that video and Breeze, you know, gives Schottenheimer all the credit in the world for his development and how he handled him. And there's this clip where Schottenheimer, he's benched him. And he comes over to him and says, look, this is a one-score game. Your butt's still on the field. I believe in you. But I'm not going to keep running you out there if you're just hurting yourself yeah. and making things worse. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the scenario that I was kind of alluding to. Yeah. Um, with Carson right now, if you could still win the division, if you could still win a game, like yeah, he's out there. But if you if you're clearly taking an L, if it's twenty eight to three at halftime, and you know you're going to lose, then yeah, a reset sort of t- look, sit down, gather your thoughts, get your stuff together, work on your mentals, pack a bag, whatever the Rick and Morty clip that you like to put on the timeline, <laughs> you know, fix your stuff. Yeah, you might need to do that. And and I'll give you a Patriots example. It's not like Cam Newton's playing fantastic football or anything, but they sat him down against San Francisco when they were right. clearly taking an L. 
And he seemed to respond to that. Sometimes you need to do that. And, you know, maybe Wentz is one of those guys that you need to do that with right now. But yeah, I think if it's 28-3 at halftime, you know you're clearly going to lose. Yeah. And, you know, look at the schedule, kids. I I don't need to outline (laughs) it for you. Look what's coming up. Because then you get New Orleans and you get an Arizona team that's pretty good too. Like the math isn't right, isn't there right now. Uh, they're, they're so they're so scared to bench him or make it look like Hurts might potentially be there, but they certainly weren't scared to pick a quarterback at 53rd overall. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a quarterback who also had a rookie quarterback drafted to his roster and responded much, much differently. We're going to talk about some Aaron Rodgers coming up next here on The Factory. And we are back here on The QB Factory, Episode 18, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. Mark, we spent... Some so a good amount of time on Carson Wentz here trying to figure that out. The answers we have, nothing at all, but we talked about it, and that's what podcasts are for. <laughs> now, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers. Man, he's having like a top one, two, or three, probably probably a top three quarterback this season. Would you put him in that range? Or I mean, at the, at the worst case scenario, top five, but I think you look at you know the way he's playing the game right now, the numbers, the TD to interception ratio, the adjusted like he's putting up career numbers. Like I don't think we've seen numbers like this from him since like 2014, which was an MVP season from him. So yeah, yeah. I mean, Mahomes is certainly up there. I think Wilson's done some things, although he's starting to taper a little bit. Yeah, Tannehill's done some nice things this year. There's been some quarterbacks that have you know Watson. played well. You know, yeah, but <laughs> Rodgers is poor. ridiculously legit. Poor Watson. Like the ultimate Poor argument Watson. against can, QB wins because he's can playing. We, you know, can we call in like, you know, the, the National, National Guard or something? Like save Deshaun Watson. It's that Bernie Sanders meme with the gun. I am no longer asking. Okay. <laughs> like we need to fix this right now. And whether it's getting him out of Houston mm. or like using some commissioner type powers to like, oh, um, Jamar Chase. You are now a Houston Texan. Like, you are not eligible for the draft. You are a Houston Texan. Penny Sewell, the tackle from Oregon, you are now a Houston Texan. Like, we're saving the Texans here. Eric Bieniemy, come on down. You are now the head coach of the Houston Texans. Correct. That would be really exciting. You are now the defensive coordinator of the Houston Texans. <laughs> um, Nick Casario, Casario. General, the potential general manager that Houston has wanted for years. Yes. You are now the general manager. <laughs> Jack Easterby, whatever that guy's doing L- in Houston. Little finger. Yeah. You are no longer part right. of the Houston Texans organization. <laughs> that guy, Easterby, man. What what a little finger type character. Yeah. Like that guy's been right. The, guy's, the guy was a team chaplain. Like and now he's going to be running that organization. It's it's like there, there's a clip of him out there saying chaos is a ladder, right? One hundred. Like there has to be. There has to be. You can't look at that guy and think not like he's not like power hungry. Okay, let's get yeah. let's get back to, to what we're here for. <laughs> let's get back to to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, you're right when you when you look at his like TD INT ratio and all that stuff. It, it's it's fantastic. And the first three weeks of the season, he comes or four weeks of the season, he comes out absolutely on fire. I think something like 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Then he has that weird game with Tampa Bay, and we're going to come back to that in a second. But since then. Again, just lighting the world on fire. Uh, since then, has not had a quarterback rating under 108. Has multiple touchdown uh, scores in every single game. Having one of the best, you know, years 
of his life after after some some downtimes, you know, for for his standard. But let's go back to that Tampa Bay game because if the Eagles are going to have any kind of success, and we can lose an arm jerking off Aaron Rodgers all day, but if the Eagles are going to have some success, they need to be able to replicate what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were able to do against them. In that game, Rodgers was 16 for 35, 160 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, a quarterback rating of 35.4, which is like one of his worst five or worst three you have to go back like eight or nine years to find a game where he had a worst passer rating in that one also sacked four times that's the only time he's been sacked multiple times in a game this year so when you look at that Tampa Bay game what is the blueprint other than just having the Tampa Bay defense and not the Philadelphia Eagles defense I mean I think that blueprint would help but what was interesting <laughs> about that game was I think Todd Bowles did a masterful job with his game plan and particularly with sub packages he threw two interceptions early in this game one was the pick six that really sort of changed that game around and on that pick six the Tampa Bay was in a one four six defensive package yeah. you know they had Dominic and Sue lined up head up as a nose tackle and then you basically had you know you had Shaq Barrett at one spot you know, you had Jason Pierre-Paul on the other defensive end spot, and they showed you pre-snap a different look than you're expecting to get. You know, because if you look at this play, you can tell they're in zone coverage because they use motion pre-snap and nobody responds to it. So it's like clear that they're in zone, but they're kind of disguising what they do. You've got a guy on the end of the line of scrimmage to the left tackle side. You think he might be coming, but they actually blitz from the other side. It doesn't get picked up. Rogers feels the heat, gets it out early and makes a bad throw and it's picked. You know, so they confused not just Rodgers, they confused the offensive line too. Because guys didn't know who was coming, who was dropping, and from where. It was the same thing on the other interception. This time, though, they really loaded the box. Rodgers knew it was man coverage because you get motion, sort of a trail there. But you've got guys on the line of scrimmage, five defenders on the line of scrimmage. You don't know who's coming, who's going. They break both of them in this case. They can't get it blocked up. And in this example, it's the back that sort of gets confused because he doesn't know where to block and who to block. And he gets out late, fans out late, and that pressure helps. And so we always talk about, you know, what you do as a defense pre-snap. We always view it through the, the prism of the lens of can you confuse the quarterback. But there are oh, 10 other players on offense, right? And mm-hmm. so if you show a coverage look, if you show a defensive front – you might not confuse the quarterback. That's okay. Confuse a wide receiver. Confuse a running back. It is pass protection responsibilities. Like there's more to confusion that you can do as a defense than just fooling the quarterback and making him read the coverage run. So if you can confuse these guys up front, if you can confuse, you know, a running back like you know Williams and get him moving the wrong way or making a bit blitz pickup read late you can have success against them. You know, this goes into the blueprint, which is most people's takeaway from this game, which is you have to get pressure on Rodgers. Sure, but how? Well, confuse the guys around him, use some different looks up front. Guys don't know who's coming, who's going. That's a way to do it. So Jim Schwartz, it is on your shoulders, but that's what it comes down to. There you go. There's your blueprint. You got to confuse Aaron Rodgers. Got to not get burned by, uh, by MVS. The Eagles have been all right. Uh, not giving up explosive this year. This year in the passing game, uh, there were, there was the one deep bomb to DK Metcalf that was just perfect from from Russell Wilson. But like, yeah. I don't. Let's not talk about DK. No. Things are already no, sour enough. Th- this has been a depressing enough show. Let's talk about Justin Jefferson. Why not? Oh God. <laughs> I'm just look. I know you liked him too. I know you liked him too. But I mean, you like there are some more. people that yeah. There are some people that are going to be doing some victory laps on that kid for a while, and you know, I might be one of them. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, and that's that's totally fine because I think, and I'll just touch on it briefly. I, t- I talked about this on Twitter. I don't think this is a foreign concept. Like, you look at Jalen Rager right now, and you say, okay, I can't even like really point to on film. Like, the production's not there, and I get it. You know, he was banged up and lack of camp and COVID and like all all this other stuff. Okay. So the production's not there. So what if you brought Justin Jefferson into the Philadelphia Eagles? What would he look like this year? And the, my main point about that is I have no idea, but it could be half the production. It could be a quarter of the production. I could look on film and I could say, watch this release. Yeah. Watch this stem. Watch this break point. Watch this separation. Look at him after the catch. Just watch that on, on a non-target. I could do those. I can't do that with non-targets on Jalen Rager that are anywhere near comparable to Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson has, and I had my doubts about him. You know it. Yep. He was a projection as an outside receiver because and and against press and and all this stuff. And you know what? We're idiots, and we were wrong to debate it for so long. We, we wasted a lot of energy on a guy that apparently had a lot more than than even we thought. Because even Mark, didn't you think too? Even though you thought he was going to still be able to thrive on the outside. It still was a projection, right? Because well, he played I mean, so yeah. much in the slot. He he played almost exclusively in the slot his last year at LSU. I mean, I had to go back to write the piece to say that he was more than a slot receiver two years yeah. to see when he was used more on the outside. But even that LSU offense, it was very similar to how he's being used in Minnesota, where it was mm. a lot of 12 at times. He was in reduced splits at times, so he yes. still technically had a two-way go. You know, landmarks and you know spatial relationships on the football field matter. Like if you're aligned as a receiver on the line of scrimmage, so you're technically not a slot, but you're still inside the hash mark or in a reduced split, you have that two-way go. Yep. You know, it's a different than if you're outside the numbers. You don't really have that two-way go. And that was on the on the touchdown against Rasul that that you yeah. put on the timeline that that, that I talked split. about. And I think as much as people like me want to take victory laps on Justin Jefferson, I think we have to be honest that in a place like Philadelphia, he might have just given you a quarter of the production he's gotten right. this year. For because sure. Minnesota uses a ton of 12 personnel. You know, So maybe it would be closer in Philadelphia given how much they like to use 12 when guys are healthy. But they don't use as, as much reduced splits and whatnot in their offense. Right. is kind of fundamentally different than the Vikings when yeah. you look at their scheme. Yeah. yeah, because they use so much play action. And one of the things that they've really done with him is what he did at LSU even out of the slot, which was play action. And he's running that over route, working against zone coverage. Jefferson is a great example of scheme fit land and spot and why it matters at every position, you know, not just quarterbacks. It matters for receivers too, because Minnesota might've been the ideal landed spot for this kid. And he's thrived as a result. I mean, at the same time, depending on scheme fit, kind of bit the Eagles here because that was their big argument with, with Jalen Rager. Sometimes you just really want the horse that can, that can. (laughs) Yeah. So an adventure with the Eagles trying to figure out how exactly to nail down their uh, their NFL draft process with wide receivers but that's the, like that's the wide receiver factory this is the quarterback factory I felt I I feel like we did the thing we had some improv conversations I feel like we did the thing I feel like yeah. we did the thing look I as a Patriots fan I don't have too much ground to stand on when it comes to wide receiver evaluations like you want to talk about a team that's gotten them wrong like <laughs> people point to like yeah well Randy Moss right okay sure how got Randy how, how Moss you- right like how, how could right you is that? Possibly know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, and they've gotten slot receivers right, but you know, Chad Jackson, like right. they've they, Nikhil Harry. By the way, mm. you know, I know Eagles fans are upset about DK Metcalf, um, Nikhil <laughs> Harry. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Sometimes picks just aren't what you think they're gonna be. Yeah. All right, 
Sometimes shows aren't what you think they're going to be. This was kind of one of those. We kind of bounced around a little bit. Bounced I enjoyed around. it, though. Explored the studio space. Thank you so much for joining me here for uh, for another edition of the QB Factory. Gentle listeners, look, thank you for suffering through this season with us. We really appreciate the support. And like Mark said at the top of the show, sharing those Spotify things where BGN Radio is your most listened to podcast. That's super dope. We love to see it. So continue to share those. We'll retweet them, all that good stuff. Leave five stars in Apple Podcasts. If you, if you enjoy the show, leave a written review. And uh, that's it from me. So good luck to the Eagles trying to slow down and confuse Aaron Rodgers. We'll see you next week to break down what happened. Then uh, go dominate. Have yourselves a day.